Today on Cross Defense, a listener's email regarding squaring up political and pastoral language gives us an opportunity to discuss the woke left, the Johnson Amendment, the church's spiral of silence, magisterial and ministerial reason, and a slew of other stuff, including deciding to never knowingly support lies. All that and more is coming up right now on Cross Defense. Welcome to Cross Defense, my friends. This is the show that aims to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul, and we aim to do it all with God's Word. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. I'm the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church way out here on the West Coast in Ferndale, California, where there are a lot of people who need desperately, desperately need the true love of Christ Jesus that softens hard hearts, straightening those who are so bent, to use C.S. Lewis's term, that one of them actually took the time out of his day, out of his life, to write and then send a letter to a Christian pastor, me, wherein he blasphemed God and fantasized about Mary, the mother of our Lord, having sex with Joseph, using as explicit language as possible in an attempt to offend me didn't work. But Christians, we have our work cut out for us, don't we? Let us never cease serving our neighbors. It's a joy to labor in the vineyard, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. If during the show, my friends, you'd like to send us your comments, your questions, your, your bits of biblical brilliance, well, then go to stmarksferndale.com slash contact. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S ferndale.com slash contact and drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find St. Mark on Instagram and on Facebook where you'll find KFUO as well. And I'm on YouTube. That's where I host all of our winged lion videos in service to St. Mark's evangelism efforts. If you have a general comment, my friend, and you want to rate and review the show on the platform that you prefer to use to listen to this podcast, we'd appreciate that as well. Help it, help us get it out there to the masses. We're grateful for any effort that you put into helping us spread the word about cross-defense to more and more people. Because after all, that is what KFUO is all about, isn't it? Christ for you anytime, anywhere. And the podcast platforms help us get that done. Okay, so with that out of the way, all of our housekeeping done, today we're going to attempt to help a sister in Christ. She says she's experiencing a bit of cognitive dissonance, and along the way we're going to learn a lot for ourselves. So this is what we read. Lori writes, I'll get right to my question. Much appreciate any time you're able to give and or feel free to point me to a resource that you think would be helpful. Well, I got a bunch for you, my friend. I got a bunch for you. Having a bit of cognitive dissonance here, I'm troubled by hearing the same phrase, woke leftist ideology, or other similar buzzwords or phrases from politicians that I will graciously, in my opinion, call severely misguided. I'm not sure that's so gracious, but maybe. Only to then hear or read them in print from LCMS pastors who I respect and generally think very highly of. Thus far, I've not been able to square this language with what I hear in my own LCMS church's Bible studies, listen to the Bible studies on KFUO, and study my other daily devotions. For example, I'm not seeing or hearing what exactly is wrong with things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, or teaching actual U.S. history. Hmm. What overarching principles am I missing? Don't get me wrong. I've heard a few comments here and there from fellow participants. I'm assuming she means in the Bible studies, usually offhand and then and thinly veiled politically conservative comments. 
Last year, when all of this talk, especially of CRT, began to permeate the news, I revisited some material I'd read a long time ago and read additional items on the subject of Marxist ideology, critical theory, Columbia University, etc. So because that's flawed, we have to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Is it not possible to be in favor of social justice without being labeled as someone who's going to extremes and disobeying God's word? And by the way, thankfully I see evidence all over the place that LCMS organizations are serving people who are in need. I'm not understanding where we as Christians are instructing, leading, teaching when we fall into using these common, poorly defined political buzzwords and phrases. Specifics are good and helpful to me, but maybe I'm the only one with this issue. Appreciate your time, Lori. All right, sister. So thank you, my friend, for writing in. I appreciate your time as well. We're going to leave a link in the show notes to a previous episode of Cross Defense called Wokeness is the Antithesis to Christianity. It's built off a book called Christianity and Wokeness. I'll leave a link to that, a Butterfat Books link to that as well in the show notes. And just so you know, Butterfat Books is my family's bookstore out here in Humanist Humboldt shopping with us helps us continue to supply our neighbors with books that prize the literary legacy of our Western heritage. So wouldn't mind if you wanted to use that link. I think you're going to find that book extremely helpful and probably it'll solve much of your cognitive dissonance. I'm also going to drop a link to Ali Beth Stuckey's interview with Chris Rufo. I don't know if you've seen this. It's titled, How Christian Women Got Played by Progressivism. Um. We're dealing with something that is not spontaneous. It's not random. It's part of a 50-year plan that's been executed patiently and then suddenly exploded into American life. As well as links to a three-part conversation with Reverend Schultz on Luther Classical College's YouTube channel. That's highly helpful as well. So take a look at those. All of these references, um, resources, should get you started in understanding that while terms like woke, leftist, diversity, equity, inclusion, all of these sorts of things, while they've become commonplace, they're not poorly defined. People using them in your circles may be poorly defining them, but they are, they're very concrete terms, and they're far more than politically charged buzzwords. You are going to have a problem in embracing social justice, the social justice movement, and having that square up with Christianity because the social justice movement is traced. It, it comes from uh, a very bad tree. And uh, you, all those resources are going to get to that for you. For the sake of time, we only get an hour a week. I'm going to leave you, as you, you said, you, you're up for the resources, to look at those yourself um, if you want further clarification, you can always write in again and we can try to talk about it some more. But we're going to talk about some of the things in your questions in your email right now, uh, get to you some of your questions right now. So, okay, beyond all of that, it sounds like to me, as a pastor, listening to your words, reading your words and trying to read them as you might have said them, it sounds like your cognitive dissonance that you're describing may be due to the unfortunate reality, ultimately, the unfortunate reality that our politicians today in America don't understand, as you and I do, that there are actually two kingdoms. There's the civil realm and the ecclesial realm, the state and the church. 
and that the former, God rules by law, whereas the latter, the church, he rules by grace. And this is true no matter if it's enshrined in a country's founding documents or not. It's enshrined in ours. In America, we see this very clearly described, but it doesn't matter what country we're living in. This is the reality of how God rules his people, his, his creation. Now, in America, because of our post-Reformation Christian influence, uh, our founding documents do clearly or, or attempt to clearly express this church-state difference uh, in the First Amendment. We see this very, very well articulated. And it keeps the civil realm from abusing its tool, the law, and trampling on the church, which, of course, would hinder the use of the means of grace. God didn't establish these realms so that his appointed civil magistrates could silence his called gospel messengers. I know this isn't exactly what you're getting at, but we're going to use your email to springboard into these topics. Okay, so bear with us, and I'm going to pepper your email through this. But the left, the left does think that this is the system that we have in place, that the church has to stay out of state matters. And that's what's participating in your, in your uh, tension, in your heart, about what you're hearing politicians say and pastors say. But it's a wrong diagnosis. It's a wrong assumption that that's what our governmental system is, is doing. The left is not coming at this issue of church and state from the biblical view, from the view of the authority above both church and state. That authority is God. They're coming at it as humanists. The two kingdoms, we know as Christians, are intertwined, though separate, but they are intertwined in appropriate ways. For example, St. Mark is in the state of California. We abide by the, the laws of this state to be able to exist as, as a church here and to do things. And, and if we didn't, there would be consequences. Now, maybe we'd be okay with those consequences, but there would be consequences. So even, just because we're the church doesn't mean we're not at all involved in the state. And just because the state is the state doesn't mean it isn't at all involved in the church. But the separation of church and state is meant to keep the state from encroaching upon the church because our tool is grace, not law. But because of this increasing ignorance in our nation, our politicians have grown accustomed to thinking that the government has something to say about every facet of human life, when in actuality, it doesn't. Far from it. And we're hearing our politicians, whether, whether they're misguided or not, they're speaking about issues that, that pastors are rightly called and indeed are obligated to address as Christ's under-shepherds, bringing the whole counsel of Scripture to bear to guide God's people so that these people of God may live out their lives as the Christians they are. Here's actually an example, a recent example dropped this week uh, as we were recording this show from a Breitbart interview with Senator Josh Hawley. I don't know if you think he's one of the severely misguided politicians or not, but it doesn't matter, actually. I want you to see if you can catch the problem with what this conservative senator says. Now listen closely and see if you can catch it. As they're demonizing masculinity, they're also promoting transgenderism. I mean, you see it in the Biden White House and the Biden administration. Every single agency has these executive rules going on promoting gender ideology. So no. what are Republicans 
wanting to do about all of this gender identity stuff going on? What are the plans for the future? And what can regular Americans do about this? Well, let's start with our schools. Number one is we have got to give parents power in schools. We got to give them a right, a federal right to see what their kids are being taught, who is teaching them, what their tax money is being spent on and to make sure that their kids are not given any kind of medication or prescription without their, the parent's authorization. And the way you do that is you give them these rights and then you give the parents the right to sue. So if the school district violates those rights, they can get into court and hold those people accountable. It starts with the schools. Gotta give parents that kind of power. Did you catch it? Even from a statesman who's fighting for children and family, we can hear the ignorance that's affecting our political life in this country. What did he say that reveals our problem? What'd you notice? We gotta give them a right, a federal right. You give them these rights and then you give the parents the right to sue. We have got to give them a federal right, he said. The lawmakers have to give us a right. How does that sound to you, sister, and all of you listening? Do our politicians give us our rights? No. The answer is unequivocally no. This is the Wilsonian twist of rights that we are experiencing. It's a shift that President Woodrow Wilson brought to bear that moved politicians from being servants to masters. It turns rights from rights into privileges that politicians grant if they want to, if they're benevolent enough to the people, or that other politicians have to fight to be able to give to the people. No, that's not how this system works. It moves them to that rather than what they actually are and what the Constitution rightly calls them, identifies them as natural rights given to us by nature's God. This is how we speak now. Without hesitation, even conservative politicians talk about the state having to give parents their rights. No, sir. Sorry, bud. Your britches are not that big. God gives us our rights. Now, the state can recognize our rights, but it cannot give them to us. We already have them. We were given them by God. Today, many of our political topics, most of our political topics, it seems like, are biblical topics. Whether we're talking about LGBTQ or racism or feminism, illegal immigration, abortion, capital punishment, parents and school boards, war, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These social justice issues that are political issues, God has something to say about all of these. And since our country has decided that these are the pressing issues to sort out, we should expect our pastors and all Christians, according to their vocations, in keeping with their vocations, to be speaking God's word into the public discourse. Politics. You're hearing the same words used by politicians and pastors. You think the politicians are severely misguided, you said, and you respect the pastors as trustworthy and faithful men. This is where you're getting your cognitive dissonance. Okay, so let me ask you this question, Lori. When you hear a politician speak and his words line up with the message of the faithful pastors that you listen to, men that you respect and know are trustworthy, why is this causing you tension rather than resolution? See, my first thought is praise Jesus for the faithful direction coming from pastors. But your email 
It seems to convey that you're trying not to lose respect for pastors because their words associate them with severely misguided politicians, and that's being gracious, you said. Shouldn't it be the other way around? If a man of worldly wisdom, a politician, begins to sound like your pastor who's speaking God's wisdom, shouldn't that cause you to rejoice that biblical wisdom is permeating the country, the culture, and our political life together? And maybe, maybe it should be a stimulant to question your presuppositions about these severely misguided politicians of yours. Yeah? I don't know, maybe. See, I don't know the particulars of your situation, so I can't be much more help than that. Go see your local pastor, your personal pastor, the one God gave you, and ask him these questions. He'll be able to help you in... in to know the nuance of what you're getting at, to know the question behind your questions, which I don't know. But it seems to me that it's a good thing when politicians are echoing in their vocation what we hear our pastors teaching in their vocation. It makes me wonder if you're trying to hold on to a human perspective that's in conflict with faithful biblical teaching. Something to think about, sister, right? Where are you feeling the rub? You, you convey that you don't like this idea that we're falling into this language. And I, there again, you reveal a little bit that, no, we're not falling into this language. We're using this language intentionally. When I use I use it a lot. I'm not falling into the, the political language. I see these issues as theological issues. If anyone's falling into using these terms, it's the politicians falling into using them, not the other way around. All right, so we're up on our first break. Let's chew on those questions, some of that content for just a little bit here as we take our break. We'll come back and we'll continue looking at Lori's email, her questions, and some answers. But we'll also use that to further our understanding of how the church should probably break its spiral of silence. Thanks for listening across the fence. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Cross Defense. My friends, let me ask you this. Would you be surprised if I told you that it's good, right, and proper for pastors to teach on matters of public life, politics? And that's what politics is, our public life together. Before Lyndon B. Johnson successfully passed his amendment that silenced nonprofits, including churches, from campaigning for political candidates, pastors constantly taught on matters that we'd call political, that today we would say are off limits for pastors. Just like Luther preached sermons with politically relevant content and wrote to the German princes to advise them how they should handle this or that situation, the church realm, the ecclesial realm, influencing, persuading, using grace to teach the civil realm as it should be. 
just like Luther did, American pastors up until the 1950s were always expected to bring God's word to bear on the political questions of the day. And wise politicians and wise Christians would seek their counsel to know how to navigate all these different civil realm issues because the two aren't in vacuums, the civil and the ecclesial. Maybe we'll all find this video right here from Alliance Defending Freedom helpful. Have a listen to this and see if it helps inform you of something you may not have known. For almost the first 200 years of American history, pastors spoke freely and boldly from their pulpits about the issues of the day. Pastors preached election sermons, giving instruction to newly elected officials on what Scripture said about the issues confronting government. Pastors also frequently supported or opposed candidates from their pulpits, going as far back as the presidential election of 1800 and continuing through successive elections. But all that changed in 1954 with the passage of the Johnson Amendment, which effectively overturned almost 200 years of church history in America. He showed up on the floor of the Senate on July 2, 1954, and offered an amendment to a pending tax overhaul bill. This was a massive bill to modernize the tax code. The legislative history on that day shows that Johnson offered his amendment and declared that the sponsor of the tax bill had agreed to it. The amendment passed by a unanimous voice vote the bill was passed and President Eisenhower signed it into law on August 16, 1954. There were no committee hearings on the bill, no legislative analysis, and no attempt to understand the effect this bill might have on the constitutional right of churches and pastors. Johnson's chief aide at the time, a man named George Reedy, was interviewed many years after the fact and stated that Johnson never had churches in mind when he proposed this amendment. One scholar who studied this extensively concluded that the Johnson Amendment is not rooted in constitutional provisions for separation of church and state. Johnson was not trying to address any constitutional issue related to separation of church and state, and he did not offer the amendment because of anything that churches had done. Churches were not banned from endorsing candidates because they are religious organizations. They were banned because they have the same tax-exempt status as Facts Forum and the Committee for Constitutional Government the right-wing organizations that Johnson was really after. Never let anyone tell you that the Johnson Amendment is intended to protect the so-called separation of church and state. Nothing could be further from the truth. Friends, can you imagine how quickly we could drive away the demons oppressing our land if we let our pastors out from under the government's heavy hand? We silence our Lord's called and sent messengers, pressing them to not engage in politics, and then we wonder why our country is literally going to hell. We complain about how the country is, is becoming more and more pagan, and all these sins are just out in the open now, and all this stuff, but yet we silence the very men who are called by God and sent out by God to speak against these things, to mark them, label them, reprove them, reproach them, and to fortify us with sound goodness that helps us refute them ourselves in our families and in our own personal lives, helps us to guard ourselves against them. And then if we're all doing that, it creates a culture influenced by Christianity, the kind of culture we had up until the 20th century. See, we're willfully muzzling ourselves complying with something that we're not being forced to comply with. That's the kicker. 
Many people are under the impression that churches aren't allowed to participate in political discourse. And that's just simply not true. It's a result of the telephone game. The Johnson Amendment passed, and as the word was passed from one person to another to another, the message morphed into something that says churches have to stay out of politics altogether. No, that's not true. The only thing pastors can't do, according to the Johnson Amendment, is campaign for a political candidate as an official act of the church. And that's only if the church cares about its tax-exempt status more than it cares about being faithful to Scripture, which we shouldn't. So here's a thought. What if we simply spoke the truth and didn't let the government control anything we say in the name of Jesus? What if pastors boldly denounced Democrat politicians by name when they openly and unapologetically abuse their God-given authority, terrorizing people of good conduct while supporting evil? What if we did that? See, Romans 13 does not just tell the Christian citizen how to conduct himself in his vocation as a Christian citizen, but it also tells the governing authorities how to conduct themselves according to their vocation. See, we're not, we're not dumb. You're not dumb guys. We all get this. Democrats are the ones that have promoted, legalized, and continue to fight for the murder of 60 million children in the abortion industry. They're the ones denying God's order of creation with their LGBTQ ideology and their push for feminism. They're the ones destroying the family with their policies on schools, terrorizing good Americans by encouraging illegal immigrants to come across the border illegally, to illegally distribute fentanyl and other drugs and, and even trafficking of human beings, right? Sound of freedom stuff. The state is supposed to use the, the tool of the law, and yet they're advocating for illegal activity, breaking the law. It doesn't get any more clearer than that. These are all abuses of law by the woke left, which has taken over the Democratic Party. There's no question about that either. Biden is a prime example. Follow his political career. Listen to what he says. Take it at face value. Let your pastor talk about it. These governing authorities are in full rebellion against God's word. There's no problem saying so biblically. There's no problem in saying these things. So what's the problem? The problem is the culture of the church, the culture that we've adopted for ourselves, the culture that thinks it's not proper to talk about politics in mixed company, especially at church. That's our problem. We're afraid it will offend the Democrat Christians in the pews to learn that killing babies doesn't jive with Christianity, that encouraging transgenderism among 10-year-olds doesn't jive with Christianity, that encouraging the school board to have more say in the education of the child and the parents doesn't jive with Christianity. We're worried that that's going to offend people in our pews and they might leave. Does it have to offend? No. Guys, I serve a congregation in California. Not everybody who hears me agrees with every single Republican policy. But when I connect these things to God's word, they listen because they're Christian. They're Christian before they're Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or anything else. So give your people 
and the Holy Spirit more credit. If it rubs some people the wrong way, that's not necessarily bad. It creates a conversation. The law is uncomfortable for a good reason. That gives us opportunity as pastors to teach, to listen as well, to make sure we're doing things properly, but to teach with both the the gospel and the law for the sake of consciences. Same is true for Republicans. They don't get a pass just because they're, they typically historically have been the conservatives, the ones that hold to Christian principles more than the other. Why do we act like these two terms, Democrat and Republican, are four-letter words and we're not allowed to use them, that these words are off limits? Why do we act like that in the church? If a Republican candidate has moved with the Overton window and now supports what he calls homosexual marriage, Well, that's a matter that any pastor ought to feel free to talk about publicly in his office as pastor, because that's sinful. Call it as you see it. We pastors need to repent of our spiral of silence and bring the Lord's people to repentance too, so that we all can rejoice in the absolution given us through the blood of Christ our Lord. We must confess that we have blood on our hands. Our reluctance to mark evil in order to avoid it in the political sphere, our hesitancy to influence politics by way of persuasion through the articulation of truth, using our words to instruct consciences, binding them to God's word, well, that's allowed evil to get a stranglehold on our land, avoiding those things. And that's not inconsequential, not not in the least. People are dying. And they're dying without faith in Christ Jesus. That's a big deal. Let's cut away our our compliance. Our compliance to our own man-made traditions. Let's cut that away and return to the word of God so that we can clearly understand when political views are in conflict with our confession of faith. Here's another resource for you, Lori, and for anybody else who's interested in this stuff. I'm going to leave a link in the notes. I referenced it in last week's episode. It's uh, Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, a manual, (laughs) I love this, a manual for Christian dissidents. That's where we're at, really. Just quoting from, the introduction. I don't want to spoil the book. Just like I never want to spoil the book for you guys. I actually want you to all go and read the book. Writing on Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Dreher says, after the publication of his Gulag Archipelago, after that exposed the rottenness of Soviet totalitarianism, on the eve of his forced exile, Solzhenitsyn published a final message to the Russian people with the title, Live Not By Lies. In the essay, he challenged the claim that the totalitarian system was so powerful that the ordinary man and woman cannot change it. That was the thought. Don't we feel like that in our day and age? Don't we feel like there's no way we can possibly bring things back to where we can possibly return America to a Christian-influenced country? Solzhenitsyn said, nonsense. The foundation of totalitarianism is an ideology made of lies. The system depends for its existence on a people's fear of challenging the lies. 
Our way, he says, must be never knowingly support lies. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, given that the devil is the father of lies, and we don't ever want to support the devil, given that Jesus says he is the way and the truth and the life, and he says the truth sets you free, that we are followers of truth and not followers of lies, that we are supporters and encouragers of truth and not supporters and encouragers of lies. Doesn't that make sense? That we would not knowingly support the lies. How many lies do we daily, knowingly support? Continuing with Dreher's book, we read, you may not have the strength to stand in public and to say what you really believe, but you can at least refuse to affirm what you do not believe. You may not be able to overthrow totalitarianism, but you can find within yourself and your community the means to live in the dignity of truth. If we must live under the dictatorship of lies, the writer says, then our response must be, let their rule hold, not through me. That, dear saints, should be obvious to the Christian. That should be clear as day to the Christian. You want to rule with your lies? Go right ahead. But I, referencing last week's episode, and I have the courage, I am willing to suffer because I follow truth. So if you are going to rule this country with your lies, it's, going to not, it's not going to be with me. You're not going to get any help and support from this guy. You're going to have to kill me first to get me to go along with your lies. We've had this theme going on for a little while now as we, we already looked at um, orthodoxy and heresy and how we've been told, what we're being told is that we need to lie. We need to affirm people in thinking they have their own personal pronouns. All the transgenderism is, being, is telling us to, that we need to lie and help these people live in their lie. No, no. We wouldn't say Caesar is Lord because Jesus is. And we will not say a boy is a girl because he's a boy. We're not going along with a the lie. They can try to manipulate us all they want. They can say that 50% of all the LGBTQ kids end up, end up killing themselves. That, well, that's not because they're LGBTQ as if the world is not affirming them and that's causing their, their suicidality. No, it's because there's a problem in their head that's related to a depression, a feeling of loneliness, of darkness, a confusion, a lie that they think they're a boy when they're a girl or a girl when they're a boy. And they're having, speaking of cognitive dissonance, it's sending them into a tailspin and some of them horribly end up taking their own lives. You know how do we counter that? You know what the remedy to that is? Truth. It may be uncomfortable. It may hurt. There may be temporary pain involved as they confront the truth of who they are. But it will lead to peace. It will lead to a contentment in their body. It will lead to a resolution. Their problem being resolved. Truth sets us free. Do you have a thought on all of this? Well, send it to me at stmarksferndale.com slash contact. S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com slash contact. And with that, let's take our second break. We'll be right back to find out what shapes your 
life. You're listening to Cross Defense. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, so what shapes your life, my friend? I mean, practically speaking, what norms your thoughts? Is it God's word? Because that's what it's supposed to be. Ask yourself, my friend, are your views of the world derived from God's word or the world? Have you inadvertently slipped into being the norming factor over God's word? Or is it still the norm that norms your views? So you might think you're in charge. You're not in the driver's seat. Not, not as a Christian. You're the bondservant to the master. The word Lord means master. Are you trying to piece into your worldview God's word and make it mesh with the words that you hear from man, the politicians? Are you trying to make these things balance out? If that's the case, then you're in the driver's seat. Get out of the driver's seat. Let God be back in charge of your life. And this might actually be, Lori, what's driving the tension in your heart on these issues. See, this is the magisterial use of reason, and that's the wrong use of reason, to be clear. We can end up at odds with ourselves when we move from being the slaves to Christ to the lords of our own lives, when we're trying to bring all of the inputs that we receive throughout the day into a sort of equilibrium in our mind based not on God's word, but on our own ideas. As if we're independent, autonomous beings that aren't being guided by a particular set of principles, doctrines, dogma. When we're doing this apart from God's word, we're in troubled waters, and we're going to feel the tension. When we put our reason above God's word, instead of submitting to God's word and letting his word rule our minds, we feel this tension you speak of. See, we want to exercise our reason, yes, but we want to do it ministerially, letting it be shaped by God's word so that we can serve God's word. Lord, you said you haven't been able to square this language that you hear with what you're hearing in Bible study and, and that you're not hearing exactly what's wrong with things like diversity and equity and inclusion or teaching actual U.S. history, you said. And that's kind of a little bit of a tell, but we'll leave that for another day. And that's why you're asking for these overarching, like what's the overarching principle that you're missing? And that's a really good, humble question. I'm so glad you asked it. So the overarching principle you're missing is that these terms, while, as you say, they're good words and they're good ideas in and of themselves alone, without any sort of impregnation, they're great. These are good concepts on purpose. On this, on this front, go listen to the Ali Beth Stuckey video with Chris Rufo. That one will get to this very specifically. See, these words have been weaponized by leftists. And yes, the church 
as you know by now, has been, is allowed to use these terms. These words aren't off limits to us. Leftism, as you indicated that you already know, is associated with social justice, the social justice movement. And while that too is not a bad thing, wanting all people, all of society to have equal justice, that's, that's not a bad thing, but that's not what's meant by that term social justice. So consult the sources that I provided for you, my friend. I, I really hope you'll take a time, the time to listen to some of those things, to read those books. This is what we're dealing with. It's, it's a long march of humanist ideals, godless ideals that reach back milestone by milestone back into the age of reason where man elevated his reason from its proper ministerial use to the magisterial one, the proud use, deciding that man... Well, we know better than God. And if we can just remove Christianity from norming our thoughts, well, then mankind can progress to that, that just-around-the-corner utopian dream that's, that's right there in front of us, heaven on earth. Who needs heaven when we die and the Lord comes back and the resurrection happens when we can have heaven now? This is, this is what we're contending with. It is two different worldviews. And all of the, the different categories in the social justice movement, they're not all independent things. They're part of one holistic movement that is antithetical to Christianity. Actually, I have this fun little graphic I made um, that talks about the world, the difference between the worldviews. And on the one side is Satan's lie, and on the other side is, is God's truth for every one of these little categories, you know, LGBTQ, and you get the, the rainbow flag versus God's rainbow, and you got critical race theory, and, and feminism coexists. I'll, like, I'm going to leave this link as well in the show notes for you so you can access this just as a general resource. There are a lot, a lot of different resources for you to take a look at, for all of you to take a look at. One that I particularly like is CFW's writings on Marxism. I find it fascinating because Marx and Walther were contemporaries. That's neat to look at how a, a man, a faithful pastor, was writing about political issues, the things that drive our political conversation today, and how he taught on them and what he said about them. I also find Richard Wormbrand's book, Karl Marx and the Satanic Roots of Communism to be a really accessible title, uh, a volume that, if nothing else, shows the spiritual side of our post-World War II politics, which we're still dealing with in our day and age today. I, I really find this uh, a good look. It's, it's very simple. It's a popular read. It's not an academic work or anything. Uh, but from a man who spent 14 years in the gulag, it's convincing. And, and he talks about how communism is actually based in Satanism. Interesting stuff to look at there. I'm going to leave the links to all of these resources for you in the show notes. Please take a moment to look at them. And that goes for everyone listening. Um, let me ask, do you have enough resources yet? <laughs> As you pointed out, the church can serve and indeed does serve people in their physical needs. We're never making an argument that we don't do that. The LCMS knows this very well. We're good at this. But we don't do it for the same reason that the world does. We do it because of the one who is truly just, Jesus Christ. Because we have his love in us. 
And that, my friends, is where we're going to have to start wrapping things up. We're going to leave it there. Lori, all of you, I truly hope that these resources that we've included in the show notes will be helpful. Please use them to your best advantage. My friends, we take up some serious issues on this show that force us to be honest with ourselves individually and as a church. We're not afraid to confess our sins because with repentance, we know from Scripture comes the forgiveness of sins. We live under the cross of Christ Jesus. We live at the foot of his cross. His blood has washed away all of our sins in the waters of holy baptism. And his blood strengthens us as we partake of it and his body in holy communion. This show drops new episodes every week on Saturday. I love that because that means church is tomorrow, friends. Go. Hear the word of God. Hear the law and the gospel. Receive the sacrament. Be well. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the propitiation for all of our sins, for our individual sins and for corporate sins for our collective sin, as a nation and as a church. Please be seated for today's sermon. He is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Each one of these headstones around us today marks a person whose body and soul have been divided unnaturally. The word we use for this occurrence is death. God created the universe free from death. So while we may hear people say death is natural, it's a natural part of life, that is not true. It is a part of our existence, but it's not natural. It's the unnatural result of sin. God did not intend for us to die, for your soul to be ripped from your body. Sadly, this abnormality is commonplace in the world. So commonplace, actually, that many people can't see past it. Jesus was publicly crucified. And Mary couldn't understand that though he stand right next to her, he could be alive. It must be the gardener. It must be someone else. Anyone else, because no one gets up from the dead. People can't grasp existence without death. And so we say things like, it's part of life, which is oxymoronic in the very literal sense of the word. You heard just how commonplace death is in the reading from the prophet Isaiah. Death is called the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, all ethnicities. It's the one thing that we all truly have in common with every other human being on this planet. Death is open to the diversity of all people. Death is inclusive of all people. Death treats all people with equity. D-I-E. It's what we all will do until the Lord returns. Die. On the mountain of Calvary, Jesus died in your 
place. Your place. He was anointed, set apart for this work. That's what Messiah means in the Hebrew, and that's what Christ means in the Greek. The anointed one, the one set apart to do this work, to be your substitute on the cross. And not the pretty little cross that dangles from necks, but the gruesome electric chair cross of the first century. The death penalty. Under God's just law, by the way. Now on this mountain, you have just now been told what awaits you apart from Christ. Your future without trust in the Lord as your redeemer, as your justifier, as your anointed one is exactly what all of the unfaithful in the world keep promising us. Death. That's what's promised to us. A community that embraces diversity, inclusion, and equity. That is death. That is a community that is not a utopian dream yet to be realized. It's a community that's already always existed. It's existed throughout human history. Since our first fathers walked this planet. Since Adam and Eve fell into sin. Cain and Abel. For millennia, we have known about diversity, inclusion, and equity because we have known death. And it's found in every city. It's found in every town. It's found in every village, Victorian or otherwise. And you're sitting among the local chapter of that community right now. This is called a cemetery. And it's not a community I want to be a part of. It is diverse, it is inclusive, and it is equitable. And I want none of it. You've no doubt heard these three words used a lot lately. They've become buzzwords. They're currently favorites among the humanists who hate Jesus, and they go by many names. They're also used by many unsuspecting Christians who find themselves uttering them because what goes in our ears oftentimes finds a way of slipping past our lips, whether we stop and think about it or not. And they sound like good words. But we can get our bearings on all these world issues and all the sins that are wreaking havoc and breaking apart families and and apart souls, depression, suicide, anxiety. We can get to the the bottom of these issues. Indeed, all the issues in our county. Because we're not immune to this. In fact, St. Mark and Ferndale has become entrenched in this. We can do it not by operating like politicians, but by operating like Christians. Not by hoping and pretending it'll all go away if we just keep quiet and don't stand up against evil, but by asking a simple question right here today in this cemetery, do you want to be a part of this community? The death community. I don't mean Ferndale, I mean death. I don't. I know the members of St. Mark Lutheran Church don't, and we aren't. We're part of the resurrection community. 
the life community. Christianity, after all, Jesus, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. The world has a false gospel it's trying to sell us. And yes, this is why Christians are hated. It's why Christ was hated. And he said, if they hated me, they will hate you. In fact, actually, he says it the other way around. He says, if they hate you, no, it's because they hated me. Because he and his followers are not deaf people. We are not deaf people. We're not all about diversity, inclusion, and equity. We are life people. And we can say that. Because being in Jesus Christ, we are about being the same, exclusive, and favored by God. It's about losing your identity. That's why pastors, I don't know if you know this, this is why pastors in traditional churches wear this garb. It's not because we want to look frilly and fancy. This is kind of annoying to wear, actually. But it's because you won't see tie. I'm trying to lose my personhood on purpose so that you see someone in an office. You see the vocation. You see pastor. You see Christ, the under-shepherd, in his under-shepherd, I should say. All of this is why we're celebrating today the resurrection of our Lord right here in Ferndale Cemetery with this beautiful view of the sun rising because the sun has risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Jesus is triumphant over death. He is gracious and exclusive. He is the gracious and exclusive uniter of people, of all of us into one but also the uniter of our bodies and our souls. The dead Christian will not remain dead forever. The Lord has promised to return, and when he does, he will reunite that which has been unnaturally divided. Your body, your soul, your loved one's body and soul. Every Christian will live forever with Christ, not only spiritually as they do now, but also physically. The new heavens and a new earth just as God intended when he created this universe. Amen and hallelujah. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at kfuo.org.